Darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space vacated by the light. This is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. It should be uncomfortable for a believer to live as a hypocrite. Delivering people out of the bondage of mainstream media and the philosophies of this world. God has called you and me to be his ambassadors. Even in this dark moment, let's not miss our moment. And now, the Hamilton Corner. Good evening. Man, if you like me, when you hear that m- music, you start grooving. Then I get in the zone, and I feel like, oh, sucky, sucky now. Time to get on with the get on and get down with the get down. Well, thank you to every single one of you who have tuned into the program. This is the Hamilton Corner. I am your host, Abraham Hamilton III. I am joined by Mr. Jeff Reed, who's on my left. Mr. Rob Gardner is on my right. And we are ready to bring today's program to you. I want to jump right into the word of God today because I don't want to run out of time. Psalm 128, it's a very brief psalm, and it's going to connect to what I encourage you with every single day and understanding why, hopefully, that what happens in your house is far more important than what goes on in the White House. Psalm 128, it just has six verses. It's described as a psalm of ascent. So this this verbiage was put into music that was sang by the Israelites as they approached Zion, as they approached the temple for worship. And so I'm going to read it. Psalm 128, verse 1 says this. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of the labor of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold. For thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Now, one of my favorite things about this psalm is as you study this psalm, Right in this short six-verse psalm, you have what I would describe as God's kingdom agenda for mankind. Let me explain what I mean. Within this psalm, the Lord by his spirit identifies the four covenantal spheres or the four contexts for covenant with his people. The first one, it appears right in the very beginning, verse 1. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Then verse two, when you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, or some transliterations include from the fruit of the labor of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Verse one begins as an overarching introduction concerning blessing. Then it it marries the notion of blessing with fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. There is no way, brothers and sisters, that you will be able to access the blessings of the Lord by sidestepping reverential fear and awe of him and in light of that reverence and awe for him that we walk in his ways. Ain't no two ways about it. If anyone tells you that you can access the blessings of God by sidestepping reverence for him, 
and walking in his ways, they're lying to you. They're lying to you. So immediately following that identification, that overarching identification, he then goes to specifics to the individual. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, that is a specific reference to an individual. The first covenantal sphere in God's economy is the covenant that God strikes with the individual, the blessed man. One of the consequences of being the blessed individual is that it will be well with you as it pertains to interacting with the Lord. And when I describe blessing, here's how I'm, here's my definition for it. It is the divine provision of all that is necessary to thrive in personal, intimate communion with God, commitment and accountability to God, as well as heavenly empowerment to obey him and to execute his purpose in one's life fully. That, my friends, is what it means to be the blessed individual. Then you'll notice verse three moves on to the second component of a covenantal sphere or the covenantal sphere with the Lord, the family. Look at verse three. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Let me dig into this a little bit. And I'm moving fast intentionally. So you notice as the scripture transitions to the next component of covenantal sphere, the next covenantal sphere, the foundational component of the family is the marital unit. Before you ever get to the children, the Lord describes how the blessed man interacts with his blessed wife. You may remember from scripture, Proverbs 18, 22. The Bible says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I've described before, you notice it doesn't say he that finds a female or he that finds a woman because the scripture's reference to a wife is a statement concerning the quality of the woman before she's ever found by the husband. The wifely quality is present before that man ever meets her in maturity and wisdom and godliness. And in fact, the same thing is required of the man that would be a candidate for marriage. If you'll notice, mm-mm. in the book of Genesis, when the Lord creates Adam, he could have created him any form that he wanted, but he creates him as a full grown adult male. Then he goes through giving Adam certain things, makes the observation that it's not good for him to be alone, but he doesn't follow that up with giving him a wife. Why not? God makes the observation it's not good for this man to be alone because before Adam has ever revealed, his wife has ever revealed to him, God gives him <laughs> three primary things. The first thing, I'm going to mention these quickly. Man, this clock is extra disrespectful. The first thing, study Genesis chapter 2. You'll find that Adam was not formed in the Garden of Eden. Study it closely. The Bible says the man whom God had formed and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils was placed in the garden that is to the east. The garden was eastward of where God formed Adam. I could spend a lot of time there, but I won't. Eden has been referenced in rabbinic scholarship and other Jewish sources as a place or spot of God's presence. The first thing God gave to mankind was his presence. The second thing that God gave him was his word. 
God entrusted his word concerning the garden and concerning the tree in the, in, in the center of the garden before he ever revealed his bride to him. As a result of giving Adam his word, God entrusted his word to Adam and made Adam an instructor of his word. Third, God gave Adam work. Placed him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. He had a responsibility of cultivation and protection, not just one. A lot of us men, we got the protection understanding down, but we don't understand the cultivation aspect of man, of being a man. God gave Adam all of these things before he ever revealed his wife to him. And after Adam had these things, God then made the observation, it is not good for this kind of man to be alone. So if you're a man who are not a mature man, who is not a man of God's presence, who's not a man of God's word and is not a man of God's work, do yourself and every female around you a favor and leave them alone. Because it is good for you to be alone until you have these things. Keep going. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. The Hebrew construction for that portion of Psalm 128 literally means the innermost parts of the home. The innermost parts of the home, the foundation of the family unit is the marriage. Too many instances, we speed past the interactions between husbands and wives and focus so much on the children. One of the best things you can do for your children is thrive in union with your spouse. We've heard it said many times, far more is caught than is taught because the catching and the teaching are combined in this relationship. Let me keep going. Goodness gracious. Clock is disrespectful. Second half of verse three, your children are like olive plants around your table. The scripture is conveying that the blessed man is diligent to gather his children around the table to infuse them with wisdom. The table in the Hebraic understanding is far more than a place to share meals. It is the locus of family life. It's the center of family life. It is the place where wisdom is imparted and where diligent instruction is provided. This entire psalm corresponds with Psalm 127 and Ephesians chapter 6. So you notice the covenantal fears first, the blessed man or the blessed individual. The transformed individual then begins to be a pillar in founding the transformed family or the blessed familial unit. Getting back to verse three, the second half of verse three, when it says your children are like, are like olive plants around your table. Olive trees were a bountiful harvest in Israel. This particular phrasing expresses that these olive shoots filled with energy and potential. Then when they're provided the proper time, care, investment and attention by the blessed man and the blessed wife, that these olive plants will burgeon into full bloom into olive trees in their own right as they mature. Lord willing. All right. It's not that this is automatic, but this is the designed intention by the creator. It's the design result. Then the scripture goes on to reveal the third covenantal sphere in verse four and five. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion, from Zion. Zion is often used in Hebrew scriptures to refer either to the city of Jerusalem or to the holy temple within it. The temple was the place where God's presence resided and the place from which God interacted with his people through the Old Testament priesthood. 
priesthood. You fast forward into Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. Guess what you find? That the veil in the temple that segregated the holy of holy place, the, 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 the holy of holies from the holy place was rent into from top to bottom. If you understand the dimensions of the temple, you know that this was a sovereign, miraculous declaration. Ain't nobody climbed up there and just at the time of Jesus's crucifixion and entombment and took some tweezers and I'm going to cut this veil. That was the Lord saying that I'm dividing the partition between me and my people. That in the times past, there were people that represented you before me. Now I've made you, as the Apostle Peter wrote, a generation of kings and priests. The priesthood of the believer was inaugurated by the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This reference to the blessing coming from Zion is an indication that the blessed and transformed individual forms blessed and transformed families. The blessed and transformed families begin to form the rubric of blessed and transformed churches. The consequences of the church being blessed and transformed is made evident in the second half of verse 5. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Jerusalem is a representative of society there. You notice the pattern. The individual, blessed and transformed individual, becomes a member of a blessed and transformed family. The family then forms the foundation of the society. Then verse 6. Indeed, may you see your children's children, peace be upon Israel. When the blessed man finds the blessed woman, the blessed man and woman forms a blessed family. The blessed family contribu contributes to a blessed, to a blessed church. The blessed church contributes to a blessed society. The blessed society contributes to the blessed nation from Jerusalem to Israel. And then one of the features of this blessed nation is indeed you may see your children's children. That is a multi-generational result of the blessing. This, brothers and sisters, is why every single day I come here and say what happens in your house is far more important than what goes on in the White House. For so long, we have looked to see maybe if we can get just the right people in office there. Maybe we get the right president. Maybe we get the right judges. Then things will be well with us. No, it's the opposite way around. Start in Jerusalem. One of the most radical things you can do in this very moment is if you're a man, find a godly woman, marry her, have babies, catechize them, evangelize them, disciple them, and contribute to a transformed church. Transformed families link up together, batten down the hatches in your local communities. We have to start at home. And in case you need a reminder, you can go to afastore.net and get you one of these families, my full-time job shirt. This is why I say family is my full-time job. What would it be like if every person knew that they were created in the image of God? After two years in the making, American Family Studios proudly presents In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. There are only two sexes, male or female. If you're conceived with a Y chromosome, you will develop into a male. In His Image is a documentary featuring life-changing testimonies of former LGBT individuals. In my most formative years of development of sexuality, I went through a brutal time of uh, sexual distortion, molestation. Visit InHisImage.movie to watch In His Image. Well, everybody, welcome to this unboxing video as we unbrought 
my hormone blockers. In His Image from American Family Studios is available now for free viewing. Visit inhisimage.movie. You're made in the image of God. If you've fallen behind in your credit card payments during the shutdown, you're probably feeling some added pressures. And even a brief history of late payments can lead to a big drop in your credit score. But you don't have to solve these problems alone. Trinity Debt Management can help. We'll work with your creditors, put a stop to late fees and other penalties, and make a plan that helps you get caught up. We'll also consolidate your bills into one easy-to-manage monthly payment and negotiate much lower interest rates. Not only will you find immediate relief, you'll save thousands. And don't worry, it's not a loan. It's a smart way to get back on track. All you have to do is give Trinity a quick call and we'll take care of the rest. Right now, no one really knows what the future will bring, but one thing is for sure. If your debt has you down, we should talk. Here's the number. Call one 800 788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. It is evident by now that forces both human and spiritual, which are hostile to America as it was founded, are laboring through fraud and deception to deprive the American people of our right to choose our own president. They seek to undermine the Constitution itself and are powerful, devious, and well-funded. It might even look for a moment like they are winning. But let us never forget that God has the divine power to bring to light things hidden in the darkness and to frustrate the plans of those who plot evil against us. And let's remember the words of Hezekiah in Second Chronicles. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. Shining light into the darkness, this is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner here on American Family Radio. I know I stirred up some things the previous segment some people were saying well Abe you make it sound like it's so easy to find a godly spouse I'm not saying it's easy I'm not saying that's easy and I'm not saying living this out is easy but what I am attempting to convey is that this is God's standard so the difficulty that we have complying with it meeting it and seeing these other things doesn't change doesn't alter what God's standard is the other thing I'm endeavoring to communicate is to show a biblical foundation for why and, and Jeff was saying this during the break. You'll notice I've been saying the same message before Trump got elected, after Trump's election, when, you know, Kavanaugh was con being considered, Gorsuch is being considered. What goes on in your house is far more important than what happens in the White House, not because that's my opinion, but because that's how God set it up. That's how God set it up. And we have the, the, the privilege so far in this constitutional republic for this to have a robust manifestation with the freedoms that we have. And for too long, you know, I'm just keeping a buck. We've idolized politics. For too long, we have placed our hope and faith. Not everybody. I know it's not everybody. So don't anybody think I'm saying everybody. We placed our hope and our faith and our, and our, 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 our belief in who is in office. And if you would just step back unemotionally and evaluate, man, you know, whether it's, and this, this, is, this may be telling to you all because of my age. Some may say my youth, <laughs> whether it's one of the Bushes 
whether it's a Clinton, whether it's an Obama, you've noticed the country has been going on the same trajectory spiritually and morally. I'm not trying to excuse anybody or to blame anybody. I'm just saying it is what it is. And while all of these things are happening, more and more and more, the body of Christ is focusing away from Jerusalem. It's not that I want anybody to ignore what goes on in the world. But you know how the word of God says, what is the profit of man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What would it profit me to be on this radio every day yapping my lungs dry and my children don't know the Lord? I'm not saying the Lord can't operate through me in that capacity. But as the apostle John said, I have no greater joy than my children are walking in the faith. It's not because they have a priority above and beyond any other disciples. But this is a particular context that God has specifically entrusted to my care. Ephesians chapter six says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Rather, rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is a specific assignment. I don't I don't have to have, you know, <laughs> three messengers and a, and a game of spades to interpret that for me. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, and I'm, I'm saying this because even within the church, and I've described it this way, and I don't know if this is the best way to describe it or not, but we've enveloped this corporatized understanding, even of ministry, that we evaluate the quality of our churches based on the quantity of people in the building. When Jesus said, man, go and make disciples, not church members. Many of us have Google after church members who are unregenerate and not converted but they're in the building every week. You hear what I'm saying? The Lord didn't call us to evaluate the quality of our ministries based on the quantity of people present. We have to be invested in the quality of fruit being produced. And God has given a specific assignment to Christian parents. And too often we are so busy. Well, I wonder who's going to be the next nominee for this. Or I wonder who will get, who will win this primary. Well, we don't even realize that our children are being discipled in the ways of the Apostle Darwin. Who, as the Bible says, is not an apostle at all, but who masquerade. You know, we're concerned about what what's the, the line item budget issue here when we don't realize that unbelief is being cultivated right under our nose. And we have become so nose blind to use the words I used the other day. That we don't even think about examining the fruit immediately around us. Not only that. We often sidestep our own rebellion against God. And say, but at least I'm voting this way. And you've heard me say repeatedly on this program. The first component of being an effective disciple maker is that you and I have to be disciples ourselves. And we have we have gotten things so out of kilter, so out of kilter to where what I'm saying now, which formerly was understood as basic Christianity, sounds revolutionary. It sounds revolutionary. Even the idea, even the idea of being directly responsible and accountable for the evangelization and the discipleship of our own children, many people will try to explain away the conviction of the Holy Spirit by saying, well, Lord, you know I would do that, but I can't because. When the one thing that I learned growing up in the hood, and y'all can take this, this is for free. 
One thing I learned, no matter what the conditions of your life are, the things that we want the most, we usually get them, especially in the United States of America. I'm going to tell you all a little secret. Growing up as a little boy, when we wanted to go see the newest rims that would come out, guess where we would go? You think we'd go to the car lots? No, we'd go to the projects. Because that's where we could see the newest, flashiest cars with the newest rims. And even though you had people who were living in the projects, many of them invested themselves so much so to where they can find rims. I knew people growing up. They may not have money for the rent, but their parents will make sure they had new Jordans coming back to school from Christmas. I'm telling y'all the truth. I don't want to paint with a broad brush. It's not everybody. But how long are we going to be content to watch generations of people who profess to be believers only to grow up and you realize, wait a minute, you're standing against the truth of the word of God. Not realizing that that rebellion was cultivated right around our own dinner tables. It's high time, brothers and sisters, where we get back to basics. And I said this before, too many places people are looking for the deep things of God. When I'm telling you that the simplicity of the word of God is deep if we would apply it. When the Bible says things like this, husbands, love your wives and give yourselves for her as Christ gave himself for the church. You understand me? Just because something gets a little tough, that don't mean it's time to quit. Did Jesus quit on you? All of the time when you rebelled against him and you knew better and you rebelled against him and you would hear the word of God and rebel against him. Did Jesus quit on you? Obviously, he's not saying that we as husbands are Jesus, but Jesus is our model of servant leadership. I'm hearing too many dudes talking this weak sauce because it's a little uncomfortable that they're ready to quit. Come on, man. But these same people will tell me I voted this way. We got it topsy-turvy. We got it topsy-turvy. I have sisters who cringe at the idea of submission within the context of marriage, but they'll submit to their boss, who also happens to be a man, all day long. Sister, your issue is not with submission. Your issue is submission in a specific context. Listen, I'm on one today. You can tell. I'm just telling you like it is. The issue is not submission. It's just submission in this particular context. And isn't it amazing that the enemy doesn't fight you at all with submission in any of the other contexts? The boss says be there at 8, you're there at 7.55. The boss says he want a latte, you got a mocha latte and a caramel macchiato. But when it's time to come home, all of a sudden your lip twists and your nose bends. What I am telling you is that that is not merely a natural phenomenon. That is a spiritual engagement. And the word of God says, why submit to your own husbands? Not a general broad-based submission to any man walking around. So why then would it be easier for us to do these things outside of the context that God has specifically given us instructions for? And what I'm saying, what I'm saying, you hear what I'm saying? These things have been pushed to the back burner in many of our understandings. But the things that have been highlighted is who we're voting for. Which, of course, that is important, but it ain't more important than what's going on in your own home. And I'm not mad at anybody in particular. Y'all know me well enough. Now, I'm, I'm passionate. I'm a very passionate guy, all right? But my cry is that the body of Christ would wake up because as I read through Psalm 128, that's why I said, man, if God could get a hold of us and our families, 
I have no concern as to what could happen in society. If you search the scripture, God has always used a remnant to do his bidding. Always. The Lord don't need a majority to get his thing done. You plus God are the majority. I don't care what anybody says otherwise. Did David have a majority when Goliath was talking that yak? Did Gideon have a majority? Do I need to go on? Because we can go on. When, when, when the Romans saw the apostles come through, they said, man, look at these dudes. These cast and it shook up the whole world. Now they've come here talking that craziness. Who has taught them? Where have they learned? And then one of the Sanhedrin members said, ah, <laughs> they've been with Jesus. <laughs> I'm not interested in cultivating a minority. I mean, cultivating a majority. What I am interested in is cultivating obedience. It's cultivating faithfulness. I'm supposed to be talking about the Pennsylvania courts right now. But y'all, do, do you see what I'm saying? Brothers and sisters, it's high time to batten down the hatches. <laughs> if you look around, you'll see, man, the influence of the body of Christ is waning in this country. To such a degree where we have people that are justifying in. Oh, Lord, here we go. We have people who justify giving our children over to a system of learning that fundamentally excludes the knowledge of God. And the, the, the enemy has us so twisted where we work diligently to justify it. Oh, yeah, but, you know, but see, I have this going on and I have this going on and I get all of that. I get all of it. And when we have other things that are primary for us, that are prior priority for us, we pray and we cry out about it. But there are a lot of us, we are so committed to the routine, we won't even think about it. We're not even praying about it. Lord, I understand that this indoctrination system is turning my children away from you. Have we been praying for the Lord to open up a door so we can make an adjustment? Have we been asking God to show us, Lord, how can we make this adjust adjustment so where I don't have to detox my child every day? From the stuff that they are being indoctrinated with that that is rebellion against you. And you know what? The detoxing your children every day, it only works as long as you know everything your children has been intoxicated with in the first place. But there comes a time when maybe they're not telling you everything that they've learned. Maybe their discernment is so low, they don't even recognize that there are things that have gotten in that shouldn't have been allowed in. And before you think that it was their responsibility to be able to identify that, go back to the word of God. Who is responsible for catechizing and making disciples? Guys, I'm sick of the enemy claiming members of our family as his territory. Because if you haven't noticed it yet, the spiritual warfare that we talk about, the, the, the things that the enemy attempts to accomplish, he's not trying to... To further bind the people who are already bound. Jesus himself said those who are not born again, they are already condemned. So guess who he's fighting for? He's fighting for your children and mine. Family. I pray that the spirit of God gives you the urgency with which I'm communicating. Because enough is enough. Enough is enough. Yes, I'm concerned about the national election. Yes, wherever there's voter fraud, it needs to be exposed. Yes, I understand what, oh, I can't even 
fix my mouth to say these words. A Biden administration. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I know what that could mean. But that's not more important than what's going on in our house right now. At best, the next president won't be inaugurated until January of 2021. Guess what? We still got a little bit of 2020 left. When is it going to be enough? When is it going to be enough? <sighs> Breathe, eh? Breathe. You know, there's only a few minutes left in this segment. I was about to go on to go on to something else, but I'm not. I'm going to keep on this. I'm going to keep on this. Do you realize that the spirit of God illustrated through the Apostle Paul, that the marital relationship was to be a living and breathing illustration of God's relationship of Jesus specifically, Jesus's relationship with his bride? Do you realize that? So when they when we see this this immense warfare cut coming continuously at the marital union. Do you realize that the warfare is promulgated to prevent multiple generations of people born in our nation from being able to see what it looks like for a husband and a bride to live in unconditional matrimonial union and commitment that transcends the ebbs and flow of emotion that transcend the temporal nature of, you know, youth and, and maturity. Do, do we realize that? And yes, I understand that not everybody will be married. I get that. But we have to understand that singleness is a specific vocation from the Lord. That's not something you lean on just if you have lack of options. Do we realize that the emasculation of men has been so robust in our society that we have scores of young boys who have no idea what manhood looks like? Do we realize that authentic femininity has been so decried in our culture that we have young girls who have no idea what genuine femininity looks like? And then when those things happen, we have boys who don't know what genuine femininity should look like. And we have girls who don't know what genuine masculinity should look like. So what happens? The Bible tells us when the blind lead the blind, guess what happens? Everybody ends up in a ditch. And then guess what happens when everybody ends up in a ditch? We begin to normalize ditch living. We begin to change policies to accommodate ditch living. We begin to say that who says that he made them both male and female? What if I burn with lust for a person of my same sex? What if I may be this sex, but I think I should be the other? That is all indications of ditch living. And we have people that are all in the ditch cultivating policies to accommodate ditch living because we have been systematically deprived of an authentic representation of what the Imago Dei should look like and how we should interact with one another. I started reading the Bible in September of 1976 after I got home from that internship. I came across David's Psalm 63, which had an impact on me and it still does to this day. I began to pray, God, if you're real, show me what you showed him. On December 22nd of 1976, as an old song says, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. Tune in to The Awakening, weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. 
He demands that we pursue a specific form of greatness. He is encouraging us to desire, to pursue, to crave a certain kind of greatness that serves all. This is Jesus' definition of greatness. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his message, Who is the Greatest? on the next Turning Point Weekend Edition. Listen to Turning Point, Sunday mornings at 7 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it time for open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also when you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For the typical family, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. Think what you could do with that. But if you join right now, MediShare is waiving their new member fee. So that's another $170 you'll save. And MediShare is really different. It's a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills. More than 400,000 people are members, and they've shared over $4 billion in medical bills. So, yes, they can handle your bills, too. This may be the time to make the switch. Join before November 30th for the additional savings. It's so easy to find out more. They're great to talk to. In fact, you can get a price within two minutes. Here's the number. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. I need you to do something right now, folks. Text pound 250 with the keyword baby. We are in a crisis point in American history, and there is growing concern that the nation's abortion rate is about to explode. So I need your help right now to save the life of an unborn child. And that's why I'm partnering with Preborn, an organization equipping pregnancy centers with ultrasound machines. 80% of women who have an ultrasound save their child. So get on your phone right now. Text pound 250 with the keyword baby. Text pound 250 with the keyword baby. Sarah Fenley owns a popular coffee house in Boise, Idaho, Big City Coffee. Earlier this year, Boise State University invited Ms. Fenley to open a branch of her coffee house in the school's library. But what seemed like a win-win for the university and the coffee house turned into a big problem. Students protested after they discovered Ms. Finley is a supporter of the police department. Her fiancé is a police officer shot five times in the line of duty. He survived, and in his honor, she flies a thin blue line flag outside the shop. The university's inclusivity committee became enraged. They said marginalized students were offended, and they demanded Big City Coffee be booted from campus. Instead of fighting the cancel culture mob, Ms. Finley decided to shut down the campus location, leaving 20 students without a job and no coffee. I'm Todd Starnes. The Hamilton Quarter Podcast and one-minute commentaries are available at AFR.net. Back to the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner here on American Family Radio. Yeah, guys, I got a lot of foolishness as you're in front of me. I got a whole stack of stuff. But I, I, I just feel like this is the way the Lord wants me to go. Because somebody has to call it out, you know. When, when you normalize ditch living, and this is how it works. Romans 1 describes it perfectly. Romans 1 explains that it's not that men are deprived of truth. Of course, it's referring to general revelation. He said, but men suppress the truth. What is the mechanism of the suppression? By their wicked conduct. Translation into modern day Abe's speech, ditch living. Because of the frequency of ditch living, we then, as human beings, try to nullify the conviction of the Spirit of God by saying, but this ditch living is so common. 
So even though inside the spirit of God is saying now, you know, this is not right. You know, there's more for you. You know, I've called you to higher. You know, I've made you for more. We attempt to stave off that conviction by saying, but look, I can't be that wrong because I look like everybody else. And so we normalize ditch living. My wife and I had a conversation. You know what it looks like when there is ditch living? When you come to one of the, one of the most pivotal decisions a person will ever make in their lives. Second only to submitting to the effective call of the gospel for regeneration to become born again. The second most pivotal decision you will ever make is who you marry. I tell the young men that God gives me an opportunity to have relationships with that. Whoever you marry will either catapult you into your destiny in Christ or they will retard you from that destiny. There is no middle ground. And most of the people who I've interacted with, they have gotten there. They live in a place where they don't know what they should affirmatively want. I've had young women say, Abe, I don't know what I should want in a man. All I know is things that I've experienced and I know things that I don't want. So we're using the process of elimination <laughs> for the person that will be a partner with us in the living and breathing illustration of Christ's relationship with his church. <laughs> we, we, which is who you're going to marry. We have young men who don't know what they should affirmatively, affirmatively pursue in a godly woman. They don't know. All they know is I don't like that and I don't want that. And you know what one of the, the most foundational components that is supposed to communicate what we should affirmatively desire? The relationship that the children have been able to watch in their own home with their parents. And before any of you think about, think that I'm talking ex explicitly about situations where we've had divorce and other things, can we keep it a keep it 100 today? We have scores of people that are still married, but they live as if they're separated. It's not God's desire for us in the name of staying married that we live in separate rooms for 20 years. Folks, do, <laughs> do you realize I talked before about the command in Scripture about preserving the unity of the peace and the bond of the spirit. Well, when Jesus talked about marriage and I've explained based on the scripture in Ephesians that that is a command of God. Well, do you also know that is it is a command of God that what the Bible says <laughs> that in the beginning, Matthew chapter 19, he made them both male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave what his, his father and his mother, his father and his mother. And cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. With a portion of the Spirit in the union. And then Jesus says this, what God has drawn to get joined together, let no man put tear asunder. Do you realize that the man or men that Jesus is talking about includes those within the marital union? If we are commanded to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace with the body of Christ that extends beyond our immediate family, how much more should we maintain unity between husbands and wives? We have people that are running up and down. They're social justice warriors. Their Twitter fingers are running happy, talking about we need unity in the body of Christ. And the truth be told, they don't have unity with their spouses at home. 
But they're so committed to projecting, we need to be anti-racist. We need to pursue justice in our society when their homes are falling apart. And it's easier for them to talk about what's going on outside of their homes than for them to deal with Q. Michael Jackson, the man or the woman in the mirror. You want to talk about society? How can we have a strong society when our families are failing? We have people living as rebels within their marital units. We got people that go to church and they're talking about they have work husbands and they have work wives because they have emotional deficiencies and their needs are not being met in their union and they're not meeting their spouse's needs in their union. And so they're looking for outlets outside of their union. Folks, we're here. This is not what's coming. This is where we are. And as I said before, when the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch and we're ditch living. We begin to normalize ditch living. We begin to make ditch living the new standards. We then begin to develop policies for ditch living. And then you begin to hear things like this. We are committed to disrupting the Western prescribed patriarchal nuclear family. And then you have organizations that raise billions of dollars in four months. And then you have people that vote for it. And you think it started at the policy level. And I'm saying, no, it started at the personal level. It started at the personal level. And brothers and sisters, and listen, hear me well. I'm not trying to, you know, messy talk. I'm not trying to, I'm not, I don't have any individuals in mind. Somebody may be thinking I'm thinking about them. I'm not. I'm not thinking about any individuals. I'm thinking about the state of the Lord's bride. And if because I love the Lord, guess what? I love his bride. And what I'm witnessing and what we are witnessing is that within the family of God, we're gnashing and nipping at one another. And at the same time saying, but if we could only get the right person in office. No, brothers and sisters. It's the blessed individuals that form blessed families. Right in your own families, <laughs> you have the opportunity to one another as in the body of Christ. What does this look like? Quote the scripture for you. Brothers, if a brethren, if a brother is caught in the fault, what happens? You who are spiritual restore such a one. You know what the scripture didn't say? What if that fault is directed at you? <laughs> are you spiritual? <laughs> Let me let you in on a little secret. You know who the people you have the most frequent opportunity to hurt and to be hurt by? The people that are closest to you. But just as much as they may be members of your biological family, if they're Christ followers, guess what? They're a member of God's eternal family. So you know what that means? <laughs> if a brother be caught in the fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. We have people that are pray all day and all night for everybody outside of their family, but won't say one prayer for their wife. Won't say one prayer for their husband. Do you realize there's a portion of scripture that Peter wrote? He said, husbands are to deal with their wives in an understanding manner, knowing that if you have beef, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, beef with your wife, your prayer life can be hindered. Do you understand that? 
understand that? We have some men who are more willing to complain with their coworkers about their wives than they ever be willing to pray for them. How could you be more willing to complain to a coworker or even more so pray for the election than you are willing to pray for your own wife, the mother of your children? Conversely, sisters praying with and for everything under the sun but won't utter a word for their husbands. That's out of order, family. That's out of order. And listen, I know some of you are saying, but Abe, you just don't know my circumstance. You're so right. I don't know your circumstance. But let's rewind the tape a little bit. Do you remember where you were when Christ saved you? Some of the, the miraculous circumstances that God saved you from? If God can resurrect you from the dead, why can't he resurrect your marriage? He's still in the business of performing miracles. I've explained before, miracles are nothing more than the nature of God being brought to bear on a fallen universe. If God can save your soul, why can't he save your marriage? Some of you will believe all day long. You know, you may know some people that have difficulty with drugs and chemical dependencies, but you believe that God can set them free. God can set your marriage free. Don't give up. Don't give up. What did the word of God say? Do not become weary in well-doing. So, so many times we use and apply these scriptures externally, but we do not attempt to apply them internally. My wife and I talk all the time, you know, because we're endeavor endeavoring to raise our children. And y'all saw them, but guess what? As cute as they may be, they ain't perfect. I told you before, them little suckers come out of the womb, you don't have to teach them to say, mine. You don't have to teach them to slap somebody. They come with that naturally. And there were times my wife and I, we, we, we were talking, and there would be a bit of a lament about, not seeing the type of fruit we want to see. And I would say, babe, you know what? Well, praise God, we actually get to see the conditions of their heart so that we may be able to, to respond and to minister them appropriately. And seeing them as they grow in their own relationship with, with the Lord and being able to interact with their own siblings and to see when the sinfulness was a lot more strong and then to be able to see the fruit being produced in their lives. Being in the family biologically doesn't absolve them of having to treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So guess what they get to practice? If one of them offends one another, offends the other one, and they want to come and whine, Daddy, Daddy, so-and-so did this to me. You know what I say to them first? Have you gone to them? Why do I do that? Practicing Matthew 18. And then take them to the word of God. If a, if a brother has sinned against you, you go and show him his fault between you and he alone. That also applies to spouses. If you're in a situation, I want you to hear me well. If you're in a situation, and look, I know life is real. I know because of the proximity, we have the more frequent opportunity to hurt and to offend. And I mean, when I mean hurt, I mean wound one another. But if, you're an, if you are a man and you're in a situation that you have been offended by your wife, right? You've been offended by her, rightfully so. 
before you conclude that you cannot and will not entertain the possibility of forgiving your wife, brother, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, how many times has God forgiven you for offending him? I'm not trying to go in and parse out, this is what happened, this is what happened. I'm just asking you. Before you conclude what you will not ever do, I want you to stop and think about how frequently, how deeply, and how abidingly God has forgiven you. Sisters, the same thing. But Abe, you just don't know. This is what he did to me. I don't know what he did to you. I don't know. But I know what I've done to God. And I am so grateful that the Lord didn't say, I'm done with this dude. I'm done with this dude. I'm done with this dude. It's not over. It's not too far gone. Some of you are listening to me saying, I remember when we first got together, we didn't have these issues. I understand that. But guess what? You have an opportunity to mature in your love. For your spouse. Because it's easy to love when everybody's got flowers coming and you got the butterflies kicking in. But can you love through the war wounds? Can you love through the, the, the being disregarded and discounted? I'm not saying be anybody's doormat. I'm saying can we exercise what the Bible has taught us to live? Why are we so willing to do this with people outside of our immediate families? more willing than we are to do it within our immediate family. And I just trust that, that there are listeners who needed to hear this because I had a whole stack of all kind of legal stuff to get to. Maybe we'll get to that tomorrow. But Colossians chapter 3 provides clear instruction when you have circumstances that you and your natural mind would think there is no way we can get through this. And the Lord says, you know how you do it? You consider how much love God has poured out in your life. How much God has loved you. How much God has forgiven you. And then you allow that love to wash over you. And not in your own strength. Because in the flesh, we can't do this. Not in the flesh. Not at all. That's why marriage is not just a fleshly arrangement, a contractual arrangement. Marriage is a spiritual union. And with the love of God shed abroad in your house, in your heart, you communicate the love for God to your brothers and sisters, starting in your own home. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.